near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, as well as the music album Home. Today we're going to share the experience of Dana, or it could be pronounced Dana, I'm not sure, D-A-N-A. And Dana says... My mother was out of the house at a meeting. My father, who was an alcoholic and a fairly non-involved parent, was supposed to be watching my sister and I while mother was out. He took us into the TV room and laid me on a bed in there and turned on the television. I remember feeling really sick and was very tired. I could not watch the TV. I remember feeling very light, weightless, and disconnected from my father and sister. Suddenly, I saw a keyhole. There was a light coming through it, but around it was darkness. I thought I should look through the keyhole. I moved toward it, although I don't think my body actually moved. I looked into the keyhole and saw light beyond it. Then I moved through the keyhole and was surrounded by bright light. I found myself on the most beautiful beach, with gently lapping waves and beautiful blue water. This was ironic, since we lived in the desert and had never seen a beach in real life before. The sun was shining, but rather muted, since it wasn't brilliant or blinding. I looked around and felt very calm. Then there was a tall person next to me. I could not see a face or any distinguishing characteristics, I don't know who this was or whether it was a man or a woman. I felt such a loving and welcoming feeling from this person. This person was very different from my life as a child. My mother was very narcissistic and self-involved. She punished me every time I was ill, which was all the time during the first grade. She would only take me to the doctor when I seemed to be so ill I was out of it. I walked along the beach with this person. Another joined us. These were not beings of light. They seemed to be regular beings, although they were not solid and defined. We did not talk aloud, but I could hear them in my head, and I talked to them with my mind. They told me how glad they were to see me, and told me that this place would always be special to me. I felt so loved for the first time in my life and wanted desperately to stay with them. 
they told me I had to leave for now, but could come back later. I felt very sad about having to leave. They kept telling me that later I could stay for as long as I wanted, but for now I had to go back to my parents and my sister. Boy, I didn't want to do that. But they lovingly convinced me that the best thing was to go back for now and return later. Suddenly, I was rushing back through the keyhole at a great speed. I don't remember waking up, but my mother was there. She was yelling at my father and telling him that I was really sick and why wasn't he watching me. I felt dizzy and tried to talk, but was too tired to speak. They took my temperature. Years later, my mom told me about this illness. She said my temperature was 104 degrees. She called the doctor, who told her to put me in a cold bath. I remember being lifted into the bathtub with ice cubes in it. That's all I remember of that night. The next day, though, I asked my mother about the people on the beach. She told me to stop making things up. Over the years, I would suddenly remember this happening. But every time I tried to talk to my mother about it, she told me to quit lying. She just didn't want to hear about it and would stop me cold if I ever tried to bring it up. Eventually, when I was 10 or 11, she told me if I didn't stop lying about this story, I'd go to hell. She also told me that if I told anyone about this, they'd think I was crazy and I'd be put into the crazy house. I'm pretty sure she said this to scare me because my father had to go to the crazy house a lot of times when we were kids. That was what my mother called the hospital she took my father to when his alcoholism became totally out of control. That was about when I stopped even trying to talk about what happened to me. All through my life, though, I had a kind of subconscious feeling that something very special had happened to me. Maybe I was special. Who knows? But because my mother refused to even discuss it, I had the feeling that what had happened had to be kept a secret, or that if anyone found out about it, I'd be in bad trouble. I never could reconcile the loving acceptance I had felt on that beach with the idea of badness or being in trouble. That dichotomy nagged at me all my life. I never told anyone about this occurrence until I was in nursing school in the 1990s. I wrote a paper on using hypnosis as a pain-relieving intervention. I asked to be hypnotized several times by the University Psychological Services in order to find out for myself how hypnosis worked. During one of the sessions, I began talking about this event. The therapist and I never really discussed it. She acknowledged that I had talked about it, but I think now that NDEs had not really been part of her training so she didn't know what to make of it. Okay, so that is Dana's account, or Dana's account. And um, it's interesting because she's sitting there, not feeling great. She's feeling kind of uh, disconnected, or, or at least she was uh, um, feeling really sick and was very tired. That's the way she describes it. And next thing, she's feeling rather weightless and feeling kind of disconnected from her father and sister. And then she sees this keyhole. And the keyhole 
was surrounded by darkness, and on the inside of that keyhole was light. And she passed through the keyhole and went on to this beautiful landscape. I've never heard of somebody going through a keyhole, but it kind of fits other things, such as passing through a tunnel, a cave, in this case, a keyhole. Very interesting. Perhaps there's something symbolic about uh, it being a keyhole that she's passing through. Also, when she gets to the other side, she finds herself in the presence of a very loving person who appears to be some kind of guide because they're conversing mind to mind, not with words, because she says they were completely silent as they walked along, but they communicated through their minds. You know, I'm really, I wouldn't say starting to to suspect, I really think from everything that I've read that uh, the primary form of communication on the other side is mind to mind. Some people will say, oh, it's it was, you know, telepathy that I experienced. And others would say, well, it wasn't te- telepathy, more of just like a complete packaging of all feelings and experiences around something. And obviously, being the mortal that I am, I don't know what that means, but it sounds like it's more than just speaking words in somebody's mind or hearing words in one's mind. It's communicating entire ideas, thoughts, feelings, all at the same time. One little note that occurs to me is, uh, you know, sometimes people will suggest that the landscapes they're seeing are simply projections from their mind based on what they would expect to see on the other side, or maybe the best versions or exaggerated versions of what they saw in this life. But this experience has her on a beach, the most beautiful beach, she says, with gently lapping waves and beautiful blue water. And she says, this was ironic since we lived in the desert and I had never seen a beach in real life before. Now, of course, that doesn't negate the possibility of somebody seeing something, you know, that is what they expect paradise to be. In her case, maybe she thinks paradise would be like a beach, and therefore she thought it was a beach. But it certainly um, suggests that just the higher versions of what we're familiar with are what we see, because she's seeing something that she's not familiar with, other than in pictures. And, and so she's seeing um, something that goes beyond expectation. I guess you could say, because she seems a little surprised by it herself. Okay, let's read uh, one more experience. This one's about the same length. This is Dawn, also from Enderf.org. Dawn says, What I tell you, I haven't told many, many people, because when I do tell someone, they look at me like I'm a nut. But I promise you that it is the absolute truth. I'm 45 now. When I was 20, my friend and I had gotten my very large car stuck and didn't know how to get get it out. We were trapped in the mud, rocks, and in the car in a place where no one was around for miles. We were very frightened and began to cry. I happened to have an antique rosary hanging on my mirror and holding it, I said to my friend, I think we should pray. I'd never in my life prayed with anyone. 
I was not a good girl, and my family never went to church. I was afraid and out of options. We closed our eyes and simply asked for help. With our eyes still closed, I heard a knock on my driver's side window and looked to see a pale-faced, curly, white-haired young man smiling at me. Instantly, I thought, it's an angel. I had no doubt in my mind and no fear of this being. He asked us to slide over so he could drive us out of the mess I'd gotten us into. We slid over and he said, fasten your seatbelts. We both did what he asked. He put his arm over my seat to look over his shoulder and gun the gas. We violently bounced around the front seat until suddenly we were out of danger and on flat ground again. The young man got out of the car, and so did we, to thank him. When we had thanked him and gotten back into the car, we looked around. He had disappeared. We could see far into the woods through tall, skinny trees, so we knew nothing was obstructing our view. One minute he was there, the next he was gone. A few years later, I was leaving the home of a friend who lived high up a hill. Some of the streets leading down the hill were very steep. It was an icy night. My boyfriend at the time was sitting next to me as I drove down the steep hill. I lost control of my car as it was sliding fast and heading straight into an oncoming pickup truck. I knew if I didn't hit that truck, I'd go over the guardrail and crash down a steep hill on the other side of the street. My thinking became slow and calm as I calculated it all. I said in my mind, I don't want to die. As if a hand reached out of the sky and picked up our car, in a flash we were amazingly at the bottom of the hill, parked on the side of the street, and the truck was safely passing us. After my father died in 2001, I was so angry with him. He was a mean drunk and not at all a good father or a good man. That night after the funeral, I was lying in my bed and seething with strong anger. I felt him around me and I yelled at him to get out of my life. Eerily, in my mind's eye, I saw a dark black shadow get sucked off and away from me. I only remember regretting having said that because I knew he was gone from me. Fast forward to 2002. I was a miserable person having had a painful childhood. I married the first person who asked me because I was trying to find happiness. I did love him and he loved me, but I always had a pitiful emptiness inside of me. I began looking for God. I read everything I could get my hands on, Mormon, Jewish, Koran, the Bible, but I was so afraid that I'd pick the wrong religion that I was frozen and unable to decide between them. One day my husband said, stop sitting on the fence and just pick something. At work in the office one afternoon, I explained my predicament to my lady friend and she suggested I go on a website for a church in my neighborhood that she thought I'd like. I did, and on the site was a prayer that was to accept Jesus. At that time, I was the most broken, messed up girl you could imagine. I'd done things to be so ashamed of that I could barely live with myself. 
Most days I wanted to take my own life. In that moment, as I sat at my computer, and for the first time ever, I had given up trying to be happy, because I knew nothing I did would ever fix what was wrong with me. I read that prayer, asking Jesus to take over for me, and I closed my eyes. Suddenly, there was a brilliant golden light. It was something I can't describe because there isn't a word that is beautiful enough. With the golden light came peace that filled like warm liquid accompanied by a feeling of rejoicing in heaven. I thought to myself, I've never felt so good in all my life. I took a deep breath, not wanting to ever leave that moment. I kept my eyes closed as long as I could until I realized I better open them before someone came into my cubicle. Opening my eyes, I went about my business, only vaguely thinking how odd that was. On the way home in my car that day, I noticed that unlike my usual drive home, I didn't want to smash my car into the guardrail. It was as if someone had taken the blinders off my eyes and pulled away the clouds that hung dark over me. I said out loud to myself, It's going to be okay. Not long after, people began to comment that I'd changed for the better. In 2009, I had another experience. My cousin, a meth addict, had lost custody of her first two children to their father. She was, and was again pregnant, for a third time, but by a different man, only this time to a drug-dealing convict. Neither my cousin or the man were fit to carry for, care for a baby. I hadn't talked to my pregnant cousin in over a year, but knew from an aunt she would be having a baby. I prayed constantly for the safety of her baby, and only had a vague idea of when it would be born, sometime in the fall. On an afternoon, while shopping with my mom and four-year-old son, I had this nagging feeling that persisted all day to the point of absolute anger. I didn't know what the problem was, but I felt as though someone kept prodding me without touching me. My mom, who at the time lived up north, was sleeping over at my house that night, and she shared the bedroom with my son while I was on my bed reading a book. At three in the morning, unable to sleep because of the persistent annoyance, I finished the book I was reading and closed it. As I set it on the nightstand, I heard in my head as clear as if someone was in the room with me, pray. I didn't know what to think and so pushed it away, but again I heard, pray. I tried to ignore it. Then a third time, it was as if someone hollered at me. I heard, get on your knees and pray. I was never so scared in all my life. It was like a fire was lit under me. I jumped out of bed as I said, okay, okay. And I was on my knees asking, what should I pray for? Again, as if someone was in the room with me, I heard, pray for your cousin and the baby. Frantically, I prayed, please take care of them. Clear as a bell, the voice said, call your Aunt Debbie tomorrow. 
I said, okay. Then just like nothing had ever happened, all the anxiety and stress I'd felt all day was gone. I climbed in bed and was fast asleep within a moment. The next morning I called my Aunt Debbie, who said my cousin had her baby taken away from her because the baby had meth in her system. My cousin wanted my family to foster her infant. We did foster her, and she has been a joy in our lives ever since. That is the end of Dawn's account. Now, the thing I like about Dawn's account is how eclectic it is in the type of experiences she's having. And also, the um, illustration that it is that there is connection to the other side on the, in, in the spirit world. Or there, we do have a connection to the other side. And that we are being watched over. That is not to say that we're going to avoid or dodge every major event in our lives that could lead to pain, suffering, or even death. Those things will come, but it does suggest that perhaps we're looked after enough that we won't go before our time, or at least that we will always have a choice of the opportunity to stay if our time is not yet come. And you know, sometimes when people hear these kind of experiences, their first response is, well, I never have any experiences like that. And it's tempting to think that about ourselves because anytime there is something of a miracle, we tend to discount it. We tend to say, well, that was a coincidence. You know, thank goodness for coincidences that work out in our favor. And that's kind of our approach. But if we stop and we listen and we think, could that have been the other side reaching out to us? Could that have been God sending an angel? Could that have been a that thought that I had to do this or to not do that? Could that have come from the other side? And I think more often than not, they probably do. And even when they don't, our willingness to be open to the possibility of messages, protections, miracles coming from the other side opens us to be able to receive them when they do come. Look at your own life. Look at the life of your loved ones. Are there things that were happy coincidences, either that saved someone's life, saved someone's marriage, saved someone's uh, situation, their job, whatever, and stop and think to yourself, could that have been an intervention from the other side? And it may be tempting at times to say, well, what difference does it make? You know, we're just here and we're doing our thing and maybe we're protected sometimes. Who knows? What, what does it even matter? Well, perhaps our knowing about it doesn't always matter, but... Our openness to the possibility of those things can help us to see and recognize that we are not alone in this universe. We're not just biological beings ticking like a clock, ready to run out, that when our time comes, that it's the end, it's over, because that's, that's not what's going on here. 
We are eternal beings, spiritual beings, sent into mortal physical bodies with limitations and brokenness and and all these priorities that have to be met, such as food and shelter and all these things that probably aren't even issues on the other side. We're forced to deal with the need for money, the need for uh, protection, the need for health, the need for some kind of livelihood, the need for purpose, the need for relationships. And we're going to struggle with some of these. In fact, I've heard it said once that uh, that you'll, you'll go through various trials throughout your life, but there will be some trials, some specific things that will just persist, that they will just keep coming back and they will be heartbreaking and they will be frustrating and they will be agonizing over time. They will be the things that, if we're not careful, could lead to chronic depressions and chronic stress and so forth. But if we can just allow our minds to alter enough, or at least our our thought processes, our mindsets to alter enough to think, perhaps there is something to be gained from this. Perhaps there is something to be learned from this. Then that that degrading, difficult thing that has been beating us down our whole lives can be turned around into something that is fuel to help others. You hear of people who say they get cancer and suddenly become a advocate for cancer research. You hear of people who, who become paraplegic and suddenly become, you know, public speakers on, you know, um, overcoming trials and so forth. I don't think it's necessary for us to go to that level, but it's certainly not, uh, I think, out of reach to suggest that perhaps we can be of comfort to others. That thing that you struggle with most in this life, that thing that you have the most uh, frustration over, over decades, because it just keeps coming back, that thing that just sticks around is probably the thing that you have the most ability and opportunity to serve others with. So for me, I've mentioned it on this podcast, finances are tough. Career is tough. It's not something that comes natural to me. And I struggle with it. And I struggle with it. But I find that to those who are going through a financial rut, who are in a place like mine for a short time, I can give them tools that can help them get through it better than most people can because I've been there. I've been through this, and I can tell you, you will survive, and there are resources. Somebody who's been through terrible health crises can tell people what to expect, what they can do to help them get through it. They can talk about the hours and days, sometimes months or even years, of being bedridden or being unable to use arms or legs or or 
perhaps have energy for that time, can talk about things that coping mechanisms that helped get them through it. Whatever your purpose in this life is, whatever your purposes in this life are, and I believe you do have many, that thing that you struggle with the most is very likely to be one of your greatest services on this planet. And think carefully about it and study this stuff, and I think you'll see that those trials are just temporary. They're going to go away when you get to the other side. Now, whether you've learned what you came here to learn from them is mostly up to you. And so definitely seek to learn what needs to be learned from them. You may or may not overcome the challenge by learning what you learn, or what you came to learn. But regardless, if you learn what you came to learn, you can be sure that it will pass when you get to the other side and the lessons you will be able to carry on with you. Perhaps even to help and comfort those who have yet to come here and are going to be facing the same challenge. Now I realize that was a bit of a tangent, that it wasn't exactly what the focus of Dawn's experience, or Dana's for that matter, but it's something that I'm gathering from it because I'm seeing these patterns. When people have experiences, it turns them in their thinking. It turns their thinking toward God, toward the light, toward spirituality. And they seek, and they seek, and they seek, and they seek. And that seeking leads them to a better life. And also to a more loving and fulfilling life. One that is helping people and reaching outward that they take, learn to take care of themselves and they learn to take care of others. Not to carry others um, against their will or to carry others um, who are not willing to carry themselves, so to speak, but to offer them a helping hand, to lift them to the rock that is higher than them, to help them in their next step, to get over the ravines and, and chasms in their life that seem insurmountable, but which you can see the way through. So if you find yourself in a time of intense suffering, intense um, frustration over continued difficulties with the same dang things over and over again, recognize that as a sign of the service that you might be here to render. If you would like to contact me, you can do so by emailing chaz at ndepodcast.org. You can also email john at ndepodcast.org. And thank you to each of you who have contributed to the podcast, either in one-time contributions or in by becoming patrons on patreon.com slash NDE podcast that has genuinely kept us going financially um, with the podcast. And to any of you out there who may be struggling with the questions of whether this is real, whether 
God is real for that matter, whether there is more beyond this life, let me at least give you this word of comfort, that even your doubts won't change the fact of what is there. The fact that God is looking after you and loves you and that his love will penetrate you, whether in this life or in the next. But if you let him, it can penetrate you here. I promise you that is the case. And even if you're afraid or confused or frustrated with him, that's okay. He knows that he is hard to find, at least in the sense of getting the kind of experiences that, that uh, ensure you that he is here. That's not easy to do. It's not intended to be easy, which is incredibly frustrating sometimes. I get that. Just be aware that even in your not knowing, he is there and he absolutely loves you. And there will come a time when you do know. And your patience in seeking and waiting for that time, waiting on him, you might say, as you seek him, it will come to fruition. And with that, thank you again, all of you, so much for listening.